everyone. My name is Albert. We have a few scripture readings for you today, and I'm going to be starting in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. So if you'll grab your Bible and or your phone and Bible app uh, and read along with me, that would be great. Again, we're going to be in the book of Psalms, um, chapter 104, verses 5, and then jumping to verse 19 through 24. Psalm 104, verse 5, and then 19 through 24. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring the darkness. It becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labor until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25 For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what was preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Hi, my name is Ike, and I will be reading a passage from the Gospels in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Good morning, Gallery Church family. Uh, it's uh, the first Sunday of Advent, and so much of this feels very lonely. Um, I love the beauty of the ways that we present uh, Christmas decorations and the lights. And there's so much joy and the hope, but this year it feels so much more lonely being in this decorated space without you. But Advent really is a lot about that. It's this long waits in dark places. Um, I love being outside, but one of the things about being outside is you usually go camping or you go hiking and you would think that I would love to camp but there's just something about being outdoors, but when it gets dark and being outside that causes, I don't know, a stress and anxiety, a, a, a little bit of being uncomfortable. Maybe I watch too much Discovery Channel when animals attack or things like that, or the North American predator animals. And, 
And I usually when the night falls and whether I'm camping with a lot of people or just a few people, I don't sleep well. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting for the morning. But, um, you know, a lot of Advent isn't just about the darkness of the night. It's about the darkness of our lives. And one of the other moments in my life, which is also an outdoor moment, um, a moment that felt um, scary was uh, I love the water ski. I love being on uh, behind a boat on the water and water skiing. And when I was younger, it was easier for me to slalom ski, which is to ski with just one ski. But we had this uh, jet ski um, that we were able to get over onto the ocean side of North Carolina beaches. And, and we would spend hours riding it and, and water skiing. But one of my scariest moments was is that the jet ski, because of my size, didn't have enough power to pull me out of the water with just one ski. So I would put both skis on, come up out of the water, then would basically drop a ski, put my foot in the slalom ski, and then enjoy riding along the, the shore, you know, 100, 200 yards off the shore and the waves and the beauty of the water. And one time when I did that, um, I had a uh, a family member that wasn't as accustomed with pulling a skier and they left me in the water to go look for the ski that I had dropped. And I literally floated to 300 yards off of the shoreline of North Carolina, which let me mind you, during Shark Week every summer, they usually film episodes of shark attacks somewhere along the coastline where I'm now bobbing like an apple for something to come take a bite out of. And there was this just immense amount of, 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 of just darkness and anticipation and fear that was just welling over me while I felt like I was hopeless, just bobbing and waiting there for that jet ski to return. And, and so it's, it's with that that I think that we can come into Advent and feel what we feel about this longing for the darkness, the anxiety, the stress, the frustrations, all these things that we feel to come to an end. And so Advent, I think I want to be clear before I light this first candle. Advent is not just a word that we use to replace Christmas. Advent, traditionally in church history, has been a season of preparation for Christmas. And then on Christmas Day, you start the 12 days of Christmas, um, starting with Christmas Day through the first of the year and not the, the days leading up to Christmas Day. So leading up to Christmas has always been Advent. It's always been a season of fasting, which is really not what we're doing nowadays. We usually are feasting from Thanksgiving to Christmas. And Advent was viewed as a time of preparation. It was viewed as a time of longing and a longing with anticipation of something that was going to bring relief. Advent is giving us permission to press against the darkness or even say to darkness, you will end. And so we light our Advent candle this year with this idea and this hope that the darkness will end. Will you pray with me? Father, right now I come to you and I thank you for this morning. I thank you for even the loneliness I'm feeling right now that is actually, I believe, helping me stay more in touch with what Advent really is all about. And so, Father, right now I ask in the name of Jesus that whether my friends are with people or we're by ourselves, that we will know that you have spoken against darkness and you are bringing light. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Well, I'm counting on Albert to help me with all of the transitions in our teaching today because I don't want them to uh, be distracting or keep us from hearing what I really believe God wants for us today. But Advent is this season of us longing through the night, waiting for the morning light. This series, these next uh, three Sundays, plus actually four Sundays, plus a time of, uh, of reflection on Christmas Eve, are designed, these, the, the teachings are really designed for you and I to get through the darkness, get through these what feels like a long night. I love how C.S. Lewis put it in his Narnia series, like the hundred year winter. There's so many visual word pictures to describe what you and I are facing, even now that's been amplified by the pandemic, the um, exhaustion of the feeling lonely or feeling so isolated or feeling like things are so out of our control. As most of you know, I'm not musical. I'm not artsy. I appreciate art. I appreciate music. I, I, I love to get caught up in the beauty of the things that people have done. But I'm really not a historical figure. You're not going to a historian. Like I'm not really good with all the history stuff. Or a lot of times I lead people by saying, you know, who was that guy? You know, what was that, that thing from a long time ago? And I do it with music all the time. And some of you that have been around me will know that, hey, what's that? What's that new song? And and you're like, uh, that song was like some like 1999 or 2002. It's like, so I, I don't know people, places and things to go. Don't put me on your trivia team. I'm not going to be able to help you out with that much, but I will be a great friend, a great encourager. But um, I, I was connected. Blake and Olivia a few years ago connected me to some friends of theirs, um, uh, Daniel uh, Grothy and Glenn Packiam out at New Life in Colorado and and they uh, used um, a old song set called the O Antiphones, uh, which history historians believe came somewhere between the fourth and eighth century. There's potentially some writings that allude to these O Antiphones being in place in the fourth century, but they really didn't take root until like that sixth, seventh, eighth century into the ways that the church was was preparing and, and, and using them as a guide through the Advent season. But these were old songs that, that talked about this waiting for the Messiah to come in all of fullness. These were songs that, that were about the difference the Messiah was going to make, the, the strength of the Messiah, the, the, the hope of the Messiah, the light of the Messiah. And so these songs were taken out of messianic prophecies and were then transformed into these Advent songs that would then help us or help the church at the time get through the, the darkness and get through the nights of our time. But the difference between the ways that the Psalms were, or the Old Testament writings were written and the way that the O antiphones were using them in the early church and the, the, the primary difference is only the fact that we know who the Messiah is. So the longing for the Messiah was the same desire and the heart's longing for Jesus to return because the O antiphones knew that Jesus was on the throne. They knew that Jesus had come and was the Messiah and had victory over death and was bringing abundant life and was bringing a kingdom into this world. And so the difference only was the fact that they knew who the Messiah actually was and they knew who 
in who and what he had accomplished. And they were just now longing for Jesus to return in the fullness of the hope and the fullness of the promises and not just the desire for him to come in the first place because they knew that he had come. And so this O antiphones are broken down over this the seven days leading up to Christmas. And so I decided to take a couple of sections out of them. And the first one that I wanted to come from is a Latin word that, that means wisdom. And it's, and it's based out of Psalms 104, specifically in verse 24. But before I get to that, let me just talk about this. Is Because the first point is wisdom looks like the design of creation. The wisdom looks like the design of creation. So when we look at it, when we look at the creation, it's really hard to see the wisdom of God right now, especially if you're in a populated area. Um, if you get out into the countryside and you can see the trees and the hills and the animals or whatever, the rivers, the streams, the lakes, generally we don't have as hard a time seeing this masterful work of God. But so much of the evidence of God is hidden in the brokenness of this world. And that's why I love how the Bible starts with Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Because you see the world without the touch of sin. You see the world without the brokenness, without the violence. And we get a picture of what God actually had created good. But now when we look out the window or when we're walking the streets or we're getting a glimpse of creation, we are seeing the distortion of sin. And so the O antiphon, this wisdom psalm, this section of the songs goes like this. O wisdom, coming to us as the voice of God, the rushing wind of your voice hovers over the earth, calling us back to the peacefulness of Eden. Come now and teach us discernment. That's an English translation of Latin. And so this idea is, is that the God's voice still hovers over the earth. It's the rushing wind. It's the peace of Eden. It's the coming and teaching us discernment in this broken world. So I want to say three things, the three things. And so the first point of my teaching, which I kind of gave away just a minute ago, there's three things that I want to walk us through as it relates to how this wisdom antiphon, this song based upon the prophecies of the Messiah in light of the other scriptures that we had read to us this morning, the, the hope of the New Testament, the truth found in Jesus Christ. What we're seeing here is that number one, wisdom looks like the design of creation. Psalms 24 says this, O Lord, excuse me, Psalms 104 verse 24 says this, O Lord, what a variety of things you've made. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. The truth is, is when we look out, like I said just a minute, it is difficult to see this. With the chaos, with the record number of named hurricanes, with the destruction that has happened along the, um, the Gulf Coast from Texas all the way to the Florida Panhandle, with the multiple storms that have come uh, to our country, let alone the back-to-back -back storms that of great magnitude that hit Nicaragua and Honduras and Guatemala and the devastation that's happened there. And that's just to name a few. When we look out at the chaos of the natural disasters in the world, we are not saying, wow, look at the power of the creation of God. We're looking at the sin and the brokenness and the destruction in this world that grieves our heart and that causes us great pain. Then we also can turn on the television and see nothing but division in the world. Most of our major news networks 
our broadcasting just division. Like you get on and you get into a stream of conversation where it is how everybody else is evil and, 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 and sinful or how they're trying to lie, cheat and steal. And then you turn to another channel and they're talking about the same people that were just talking about them as lying, cheating and stealing. And now they're talking about lying, cheating. When you look at the division amongst us in our humanity, when you look at the division of, of the hatred between people of, of, of different colors, skin, or people in different economic classes where people can have the same skin tone, but have a, uh, an animosity towards those that are, that, that make less money than them or those that make more money than them. We are so divided. We have so much pent up hatred. Sometimes we don't even see it. We refer to people as less than human all the time. We refuse to call people by their names and are constantly def- um, um, naming them based upon choices or actions that they're making. We're not bringing dignity to people. We're actually bringing them down. We refuse to look at people and to see them the way that God has made them. And we're projecting the sin and the brokenness on one another. And when we begin to see what the Bible said in Genesis chapters one and two, you begin to see that God made things good. He called some of the things very, like they were really good. That's why many Jewish weddings happen on Tuesdays because it's the only day in creation where God said it was good twice. And so there's so much of the goodness of God, the wisdom of God that is seen in Genesis chapter one and two. But it also reveals, Genesis one and two reveals to us how distorted that the world has become when you look at how much People are attacking animals, are attacking the way that the things that God had created as good are now being broken. So what was God's design? Let me give you just two quick examples out of the first two chapters of Genesis uh, for the sake of time. Because Genesis 1 and 2 is almost like anything that you, it's unlike anything that you and I might have read recently. And I encourage you this Christmas season, this Advent time to go back and reread Genesis 1 and 2. But the thing that I love about Genesis 1 and 2 is he created male and female in his image. He gave dignity and equality to both of them. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, part, or apart from all the rest of the, the scriptures where it is the constant battle between the, the, the genders, and you begin to see how people are constantly dominating one another and lording over one another, and you look at Genesis 1 and 2, that... that that, that both of them had dignity. Both of them were created equal. Um, the, the, the language in Genesis 1 and 2 is that she was made to be a strength that is equal to his, the Eve to Adam's strength that was made to be equal to his. The design of, of, of creation was a sense of equality, not of power and division. Where has our society been this design? How can we straighten it out as much as we're able to in our lifetime is the question for us as a church this Advent. As we're sitting in the darkness of our time, how can we say we are going to labor in this life until Jesus returns at bringing that back to the way God had initially set it up for us? How can we do as much as we can in our lifetime to bring it back to God's original intent? Versus continuing to stay in the stream of it in our time. Remember what we said at the end of John chapter 21? We said that Jesus achieved and we implement. So while we are sitting in the wisdom of God, 
We take the wisdom of God and we implement what Jesus has achieved. And that was what John was saying was the birth of new creation. John 1, the, the, the ways of God's original intent were coming back into focus. Another example is work. So we have the relationship in Genesis 1 and 2 between men and women and the way God had given dignity and equality to those um, men and women, Adam and Eve. Another work, another example is how we work. Work was a part of the design of creation. Adam and Eve weren't placed into the garden just to have a hammock and drinks with straws in it. They were given a task to do, to manage and to maintain creation. And the good news is that every vocation that we have gives us a chance to reflect the wisdom of God into this world as we begin to seek justice and align it back to Genesis chapter one and two. One of the best books that I've ever read uh, about the dignity of work and the, the, the worship of our work is Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor. And in it, he talks about the fact that your calling is bigger than your career, your career that your calling as a son and daughter of God, as a creation of God to engage in the world is bigger than our career. And so the second thing, the first one is that the wisdom of God um, looks like the design of creation. The second point is the wisdom looks like foolishness in the world. So here's the thing. If it looks like foolishness in the world, it's going to look like foolishness to you and I sometimes. We're going to come up against some things where we're going to be like, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. It's like a, a book that my son and I have been reading together through the Sermon on the Mount. There's so many moments in it where the author is playing with us by saying, oh, yeah, Jesus really didn't mean this, that you're to love your enemies. Like he's winking at his disciples. Like, I know this sounds ridiculous. So you really don't have to do it. I'm just trying to power talk the crowd. Well, that's because the words out of Jesus's mouth, the word which created the world into Genesis 1 and 2, which we just talked about is the same word, is the same truth that the world for ever since he's been speaking has been saying, oh, that sounds foolish. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. So let me just summarize this really quick because this could be a really long teaching. No one would have ever in the first century or any century ever claimed that their God was hanging on a cross. There is nobody that would have ever thought that in order to find the one true God, that you would need to look for one that would have died on a cross. But for them to preach the Messiah, the Savior King, and to, and to say to them, oh yeah, and by the way, he died on a cross, um, and then he resurrected three days later. I mean, to the most of the people in the world, they're like, no, no, that's foolishness. Why would he have done that? He should have just destroyed evil, so much of the good news of Jesus Christ to the people of this world seems foolish. But Christ is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God had a different starting point than the wisdom of this world. Christians have a different foundation under them. That means the things that make sense to people in the world are not the same things that make sense to the people that are following after Jesus. Like the world says, go make as much money as you possibly can. And therefore people develop 
unsustainable rhythms of work and rest and family and recreation. And then they wonder why their worlds are falling apart because they've run after the one thing that they've been told that you need to have lots of. And that is not a love for people. It is a love for money. So much of this world and this culture is saying to you and I that it has to be about us and it's not about other people. And one thing I want to point out, we're going to talk more about this in January, is that the gifts of God's spirit to his church that you and I receive, all of those gifts except for one were designed for the benefit of others. And we'll talk more about that in January. So the thing about the wisdom of God, according to the way it was revealed in Jesus, and when you talk about the good news of Jesus, is it a giving of yourself away. So one of the things I've encountered many times as a pastor in my years of ministry now, over 25 years, is this idea that it's foolish in our culture today for one of the parents to stay home and, and, and minister to the children and, and not put your career first. Like so much of the culture and so much of our, our life is looking at people who choose to spend time or sacrifice financially or live in a smaller home or go about life differently. And so people that are investing in their children are looked at by many people as foolish. I've seen this many times as an example of people that are giving themselves up for somebody else and they're looked at foolish. And when you live a selfish life, it's, oh, it's only about me and my career, you're, you're celebrated. And so, so much of that is difficult for many of us. And even in saying that, it's so easy for you to misinterpret what I'm saying, because I'm not saying to those of you that have a great career and you are making great sacrifices and still loving your family well through those sacrifices, that you're not serving the Lord because you are. But there is a stigma that if you decide to stay and, and invest in your children and sacrifice your career to another day, you're looked down upon. Another of the many things that has happened is that we're not as generous in our finances as we could be because the pressure is you need to save, 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 save for your retirement rather than give generously. I bumped into this uh, during a few of my years, even when I was working um, with some of the professional athletes as a chaplain. The more and more money they made, the more and more people told them, hold it close, hold it close because you won't make it very long. Or they told them, hey, you're, you're, if you wrote a check for the amount of money that you're making and a, to a charity or to a church, it's too much. You've, your, your, your tithe would be too much. It's going to make that, that church or that ministry too dependent upon you. And so people have been told or convinced, no, hold on to more. It's okay. You're still giving a lot, but it's less than you should be giving because of this thing in this world. Once you have money, you need to hold on to it. So the foolishness of God was the early church giving homes away. The foolishness of God was them allowing for food to be distributed at, to make sure that nobody had any needs in a first century where there was crosses with people on them all over the place. And the Roman Empire was pressing on them and taxing them. But those that had much were like, hey, I've got a lot. I'm going to make sure that nobody has anything. That's foolishness in this world. But yet it was the glory and the beauty of God. Gregory of Nisi said this, and I put the quote up for you. 
Reflect on the poor and you will understand how they reflect the image of God. They took on the image of our Savior. Have you ever just taken time to reflect on the poor and Jesus at the same time? Obviously, Gregory of Nisi did, and it moved him with great compassion. Because in the Roman Empire, when the church was being birthed and growing, the Romans were rounding up beggars and deporting them. They were many times even having mass graves with people in them. Their desire was that if you couldn't help yourself, then you weren't worth helping. And just the ones like you were the ones that were worthy to keep moving forward. And so there was such a culture of uh, of a... a a mean spirit towards the poor. So how did all that change? Let me ask the question again. How did all that change? Jesus came. The wisdom of God came in Jesus Christ. And so the world will look at our foolishness and say, wow, that life looks better. Like when you and I look like Jesus and and they see the love and the compassion and the gentleness and the kindness exuding out of us and not this stress about, am I saving enough for retirement or is am I advancing my career enough? After a while, when they see the love and the gentleness and the compassion exuding out of us, they're going to be like, wow, what's different about your life? You have Jesus. That's very interesting to me because it goes against the foolishness of the world. So the third point that I wanted to make out of this Psalms 104 passage for us in the in 1 Corinthians and in John is that wisdom looks like Jesus. So we have wisdom revealed in creation, wisdom's foolishness in the world, and wisdom looks like Jesus. John 1, we just came through this gospel. The Greek word is logos, which is really the organizing wisdom of the world, the wisdom. But the wisdom isn't a force. It's not like in Star Wars where it feels like a force, the force be with you. Wisdom is not just the concept of books that you can go to in the library and read and read and read and read and read. And then you have wisdom. Wisdom is not academic. Wisdom is Jesus Christ. Wisdom is Jesus Christ. All things hold together through Jesus Christ. Only the, He's the only true living human being that has ever fulfilled the goodness of God and walked in the new kingdom in this world. And so you and I, if we're going to find that truly abundant life, we're going to find it in Jesus Christ. And the thing is, is that many people hold on more to the Bible as the wisdom of God, when in all actuality, it is Jesus, not the Bible. The Bible is the word of God only because it reveals the wisdom of God in the word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And so the reason we come to the scriptures and we teach from it every Sunday, and we've spent an enormous amount of time in the gospels in the last 10 years of our church is because the wisdom of God is Jesus Christ. And the more that you and I know Jesus Christ, the more and more that we are going to have the wisdom of God to walk in this world. Even Jesus looked at the religious leaders of his day and said to them, you have searched the scriptures, but you've missed me. I don't want that to be true of our church. Some of you are in Bible studies more than once or twice a week. And it's so possible to get caught up in the rhythm of just Bible studies that we miss Jesus Christ. We're not self-giving like Jesus Christ. We're not laying our life down for others like Jesus Christ. We're just becoming fat in our knowledge of the Bible and Bible characters and Bible truth. But it's not the wisdom of Jesus Christ coming through us. Because if we're going to get through the darkness of night, Advent, this season 
of waiting and longing. If you and I are going to get through it, we need to tie in to the wisdom. And wisdom is not a book. Wisdom is the person of Jesus Christ. So for today, do you need wisdom? I know I do. And I don't just want wisdom so I can make the right decisions. I want wisdom so that I can hold on in the long and lonely nights. Before I even started recording this, I was sending text messages to our elders and to my wife about how lonely this room feels to me right now, how disconnected from our church I feel and how hard it is to speak with love and compassion to just this small camera that's in front of me recording what's going on. There's so much of this right now that feels foolish and lonely and dark. But if I know Jesus and I begin to focus on Jesus, I can begin to find the hope and the excitement of knowing that this is not in vain. We are continuing to announce the good news of Jesus Christ. And I know that many of you are hearing my words and you're walking faithfully in obedience because you want to be found faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings me great encouragement right now as I'm even in the midst of recording this teaching. But the truth of Jesus is for us not just people that have lived out their faith and not just people in the future, but it's for us in our time under this pandemic in the political climate of our country and the world and the, the storms and the devastation of this world. They are pointing to the fact that this world has been damaged by sin and Jesus has won the victory so that you and I can walk now and implement that victory. So we have to press back against the darkness. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is if you and I are serious and be serious about understanding the wisdom of God. Dallas Willard was one of the my favorite writers on discipleship. Um, it's not an exact quote. It's kind of like a summary of some of his writings as he's talking about what it really looks like for us to be true disciples of Jesus. But he kind of summarizes it with this word picture of looking like to look like Jesus as if he was in our shoes. Like the goal of discipleship is to look like Jesus as if he was walking in our shoes. Now, many other pastors and leaders have said that or in variations of that. But the issue for us is this, is who do people say that we look like? When they, when they get to know us, what names come to mind about who we are imitating with our lives? Is it some sort of movie star? Is it some sort of famous business person? Is it some a family member? Would Jesus even be mentioned in the top five, top three? Like, hey, you know what you remind me of? You remind me of, you know, oh yeah, you know, yeah, I see Jesus in you. I mean, where would Jesus fall in the descriptions of our lives? This is what Advent is for us right now. We can take time to just pause and meditate, am I connected to the wisdom of God that is Jesus Christ? Because if I am, I am going to look like Jesus Christ in this world. Even in the darkness that we're in right now, I have the ability to look at the light of Christ, which points us to God's original intent, Genesis 1 and 2, of the way that our life should look like and should be. Let's take some time right now to just pray together as a church. Loving God, we come to you this morning with renewed spirits. 
in this season of the pandemic and the national crisis, allow us to focus on your healing love and let go of all the burdens that weigh us down. Heal and restore us, O Lord. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O God, we lament that our country has so often failed to practice what we professed. Remind us of the values America was founded on. God, we ask that our country will be a place of welcome where differences are celebrated as strengths and all are truly free. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lift those up who are suffering from COVID or other illnesses, those who are unemployed or underemployed. Walk with those who are lonely, scared, angry, and depressed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Holy Spirit, as countries try to balance the desire to reopen with the need to be safe and healthy, we ask that you guide our leaders with humility, wisdom, love, and kindness, and fill all of us with the compassion for the sick and weak. As we see the global uptick of the virus cases, fill us with the strength to continue the social distancing practices that protect our neighbors and save lives. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all of us who are troubled, fill us with the love and encouragement of your spirit. Remind us of the many Christian brothers and sisters who have suffered and yet grown closer to you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of beauty and goodness, fill our hearts with praise and hope. Let us see and be refreshed by the beauty you have created. Let us encounter you in our daily lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, church, it's time for us to come to the Lord's table. And so I encourage you right now to pause the video if you don't have bread in a cup and, and come back to this if you're watching online, because this is a fantastic time for us to remember what we've been taught today, that what we're seeking is foolishness to this world. What we're seeking is not the way that we see creation being lived out today. What we're seeking is Jesus Christ, which is the manifest wisdom of God in the world for us today. And so right now, before we come to the table, let's take a moment to just pray together over the bread and the cup in our lives. Father, I thank you for this table, for the bread, for the cup, for the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Father, before we come to this table, though, I want to lead us as a church in just a confession of saying we have been walking in foolishness. Some of the decisions we've intentionally made, we know go against Jesus. Forgive us for our intentional sin. Help us, Lord, to have victory 
over the things that we know that we shouldn't be doing, but yet we continue to do them. Forgive us. And Father, we also have lived enough to know that so many of the things that we do that we're even unaware of are still wrong and against your will and your kingdom. And that too is still sin. So Father, would you forgive us for the things that we are, are doing that we're not even aware of that are just in us and they come out of us, but it's not bringing your kingdom and life into the world. It is continuing to celebrate the old sinful part of who we are. So Father, would you forgive us for the things that we are knowingly doing and the things that we don't know that we're doing. And Father, I also pray right now for the conflict that's there between many of us, especially those of us that believe in Jesus. Father, I pray that we would be able to have the wisdom of Christ discussion and that we would find truth together in Christ. There's so much division, so much brokenness in your church and in even just the community of people that follow after you. So Father, we come to this table asking you to bring oneness to your church to bring healing to your church. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Right now, guys, I'd love for you to take off a piece of the bread and hold it up to one another and remind each other with your words and have an opportunity to hear. And so if you're by yourself, say it to me as I say this to you, this is his body broken for you. And then I'd love for you to take the cup and hold it up to one another. And look at each other and have it said to you and also be saying it to those around you. And together again, if you're by yourself, I'm saying this to you. This was his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And then let's take time to dip the bread into the cup and take this together. And then let's announce together, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ is coming again. That's the hope of our Advent series. That's the hope that we have as we're pressing against the darkness. And so the benediction, the final words as we go out from here today, may our eyes be open to see the wisdom of God in creation. May you and I walk in wisdom and not the foolishness of this world. And may our eyes be fixed on Jesus Christ, the source of wisdom, the only wisdom in the world. And may God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you so much.
flocks were sleeping, shepherds keeping vigil till the morning moon. Saw the glory, heard the story, tidings of a gospel truth. Let's rejoicing, free from sorrow, praises voicing. 